Luke 24, verses 28 to 35. As they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Once a relative of one of our members who had died called the day before the memorial service saying that she was just overwhelmed and wondered if maybe we could just talk. Well, I thought about meeting at a room at the church, but sometimes when people are overwhelmed, they talk about it more easily walking beside somebody looking ahead than sitting in a room facing each other. And it was a beautiful day, so we met at Cox Arboretum. And the more we walked, the more she shared about her feelings and her pain, the more she talked about it the better she felt, not because of anything magic I said, but that she just trusted somebody to listen and let her work it out herself. A meaningful part of the biblical story of the walk to Emmaus is that these two disciples who are so deeply troubled do just what you and I might do. They take a walk with somebody that they trust so that they can talk about it. No one has actually ever figured out just where Emmaus is located in the Holy Land, although some people at the time of the Crusades thought it was the town of Abu Ghosh. They erected a church called Church of the Resurrection there, and people still go to see it. We still don't really know if that's Emmaus or not. But actually, it's kind of fitting that we can't pin Emmaus down, because in a way, it is a road that each and every one of us walks at least at some time in our lives. If you have ever lost a loved one, if you've ever had a frightening diagnosis, or a child who's sick, or a child struggling with life, you know that road. If you've had depression, if you've felt some time like your faith was ebbing away, or experienced a sense of hopelessness, you have walked there. Whatever it is, you know your Emmaus Road when you walk it. 
The disciples in our story had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had followed his teachings. They had watched as he healed people, as he showed compassion to the poor and everyone in need, how he lifted people up, and Jesus was their friend. And suddenly they find themselves watching from a distance as he dies in agony on a cross near a garbage dump on the edge of Jerusalem. How can everything they have believed turned upside down like this? The meaning of the original language of the text makes it clear that they aren't just discussing what had happened, they're examining it. They're turning over every aspect of what happened to Jesus, at least in that last week, trying to figure it out, make sense of it. And then this stranger shows up asking what they're talking about. Don't you kind of wonder if Jesus suppresses a smile when they tell him they can't believe he doesn't know what's been going on, when they can't believe he doesn't know about Jesus? They are the ones who aren't recognizing them when he's right there. We don't know why in the resurrection stories people don't recognize Jesus, at least not at first. Maybe he looks somehow different. Maybe God is purposely keeping them from seeing with their eyes until they can see with their hearts. When he, interrupt, when he interprets the scripture for them, Jesus helps them to understand who he is in light of the long view of all of the ancient texts that they have. It must be fascinating because they want to keep talking with him, they want to keep hearing what he has to say, and they invite him to dinner. As we all know, when he breaks the bread, they experience something holy in him. They realize that this stranger is Jesus. You see, on the road, they had been discussing their ideas, often their preconceived ideas. They've been trying to wrap their minds around what happened, and that's a good thing. But God wants us to go further than that. Even the most astounding biblical scholar or theologian we can imagine does not have on his or her own the ability to move from belief to faith. It's not something we accomplish on our own. You see, faith is not so much the wrestling of ideas as it is an experience of the presence of the holy. It isn't something we can achieve on our own, but a gift from God. Either our hearts are open enough to receive it, or they aren't. In an article in Christian Century magazine some years ago, Craig Barnes wrote, The question that Easter asks us is not, do we believe in the doctrine of resurrection? What the gospel asks us is, do you, is not, do you believe, but have you encountered the risen Christ? No one is ever able to read and, I'm sorry, no one is ever ready to encounter Easter until he or she has spent time in that dark place where hope cannot be seen. At the end of the Emmaus story, the two disciples head back to Jerusalem and give witness to the risen Christ. Yes, I am sure they are joyful. I am sure things have changed for them. But it doesn't mean that they will no longer have heartache or struggle in their lives, because we all do. The difference is they begin to organize their world from the perspective of resurrection of a love more powerful than they have ever imagined, a love more powerful than death. 
As they face the heartache of the world, they do so as people who have been transformed by the love of God alive among us. It took a while for the two disciples to recognize the presence of God among them. It isn't easy for us either because the presence of God is often hidden in plain sight. In the past, some people have shared with me that they worry something is wrong with their faith because they didn't have that sudden, life-changing, lightning bolt kind of epiphany experience of God. They assume every other Christian has experienced it that way. For most of us, God comes to us through ordinary, everyday moments that are suddenly, unexpectedly made sacred. One of those times for me happened some years ago now at a memorial service. A kind and faithful man, a doctor in our congregation, was grieving for his dear lost wife who died far too young. He was in deep pain, compounded by the worry of how he was also going to take care of his two sons by himself. An angry 14-year-old Greg and a sensitive 10-year-old James. The teenager was angrier than ever because he couldn't forgive himself for having been a teenager when his mother was ill, for letting out his anger at the world and at her disease, and he couldn't let go of that bad feeling. James, the little boy, told me he wanted to play violin for his mom's service. And I told him that it would be hard, that, that he could, but that if he changed his mind, even at the last minute, it would be fine. I had not realized at the time that he was sort of a prodigy. And the way he played his mother's favorite piece, Claire de Lune, took my breath away. He was a small boy, but he filled that room with the power of the emotion and the love he poured into that music. It was as if all the love for his mama was channeled into his violin. For sure, it felt for all the world like God was present. Have you had those sorts of moments in your life? Touchstones to God that you can remember and keep close to your heart. For me, it can be as simple as holding a hand and praying with someone in the hospital, or holding a baby, or marveling at the delicacy of a flower in spring. It can be something that comes on when I'm surprised by random kindness or unexpected compassion. There are times when I am simply overwhelmed with a sense of being held in God's love. Sometimes those moments are hidden in plain sight because we are so preoccupied with other things that we don't allow room for them. I know there are times that I do that. I imagine you do too. Like the disciples who couldn't get past their expectations of who Jesus was in their minds, who Jesus was supposed to be, and make room for who he could be to them, we can get in our own way. Reverend Adele Calhoun, a pastor for spiritual formation, helps people practice making room to grow in our experience of Christ in our lives. 
Some would call this practicing the presence of God. She encourages us to live from day to day, letting go of our focus on the past or our focus on the future so that we can be more aware of the moment and the potential for sacredness in it. We try to be more open to where we might catch a glimpse of Christ's presence in others, not just in those closest to us, but in everyone, even the people we don't particularly like or have patience for, that maybe, just maybe, if we look hard enough, we will see Christ in them too. Have you ever approached a day wondering with excitement and anticipation just where you might have a God sighting that day? I don't do it every day, but sometimes I do. Can you maybe meet God in little prayers every day, as well as working toward a mo more focused time of prayer and meditation in your life? Well, I realize some folks are intimidated by prayer. Don't worry so much about what you say, or even if you say anything. Praying and medication can just simply listen, mean listening to God and centering ourselves in what is sacred. When I was a kid going to Presbytery Camp in Virginia, we would do something every year called our Emmaus Walk. Usually the camp was full of the noises of excited children running about playing, have a wonderful time, but there was one 30 minutes the last night of camp where we were supposed to be on our own for 30 minutes until the bell rang. It was still light out, don't worry. Every single camper was supposed to be walking alone in the beautiful landscape, sitting by the lake or wherever they felt peaceful. And we're supposed to think about the fact that we weren't really alone, that Christ was beside us. Trusting in that reality, we were told to think about what we would like to say to Jesus and express in prayer. Or we could simply immerse ourselves in a consciousness of God's presence and listen. Usually, this camp that was so filled with activity was beautiful, but it became so beautiful in that silence. Jesus always seemed close in those moments. As an adult, there are times when life's responsibilities and activities can take over, and I forget or postpone making space for Emmaus walks. And yet they always bring me back to a place of heightened awareness of God's presence in my life. What reminds you of your sacred center? Maybe it happens in church or in your own quiet times. Maybe it happens when you are doing things that offer Christ's love to others and are conscious of God's presence in your acts of kindness or compassion. Perhaps it's when you feel most broken and defeated or even hopeless, walking the Maus Road and feeling all alone, only to be surprised by the presence of the living Christ. In his book, Dance of Hope, the late Episcopal Bishop William Fry talked about when he used to volunteer to read to people who were blind. And he had a long time that he read to a young man named John. When the bishop asked him how he lost his eyesight, he was told that it happened in a chemical explosion when he was 13. Then the bishop asked him, how did that make you feel? John said, life felt like it was over for me. 
I felt helpless. I hated God with all my heart. For the first six months, I did nothing but stay in my room, and I ate all my meals by myself, my choice. Then a curious thing happened. One day, my father entered my room and said, John, winter is coming, and the storm windows need to be up. That's your job. I want those things hung by the time I get back in the evening or else. John's father turned and walked out of the room and shut the door loudly. John reported he was so angry that he was thinking, just who does he think he is? What does he think I am? I'm blind. He was so furious, he decided to go ahead and do it. I'll show him. I'm going to try to do it, and I'm not, it's not only going to be that I'm blind, but I'm going to be paralyzed because I'm going to fall for sure. That'll show him. He felt his way to the garage and found the windows and located the tools that he needed. He found the ladder, and all the while he was muttering under his breath, I'll show them, I'll fall, then they'll be, have, have to take care of a blind and paralyzed son. That'll be great payback. Eventually, he did complete the goal, the assignment. He did get the windows up before evening. But the assignment achieved much more than that. It achieved the father's goal as well. At that point, John slowly realized that he could still do work, and even more so that he could begin to reconstruct his life. As John continued to tell the story, John's eyes, his blind eyes, began to mist. Seven years later, he said, I learned that something else had important had happened that day. That entire day, my father was no more than three or four feet from me and I had never known it. Friends, Jesus was sent into this world to reveal the depths of God's love for us, to show us God's heart. And Jesus still walks beside us every day, even when we don't recognize him. Embracing the reality of that love might just help you and me wherever we find ourselves on the Emmaus Road. Amen.